taking that learning and genuinely wanting to build the best product with yeah. this critical feedback. And yeah. to me, that's a rarity too. You know, not just being solely focused on building the economic engine, but the feedback engine, that's the markings of a great product team. Welcome to Subscriptions Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Scott Herf, who is the co-founder of Churnkey. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, awesome. Excited to uh, talk about this topic today of churn and It's more important now than it ever has been to subscription-based businesses. So I'm sure there's a lot we can dive into today and talk about. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to start Turnkey. Yeah, so I spent a decade plus in VC-backed startups and built a lot of subscription businesses within that. Most famously, helped start the Tinder subscription business. So I was responsible for the first major feature rollout in that new suite of products called Superlike. Fun fact, one of my co-founders actually met his wife using that feature, unbeknownst to me. So that's a nice thank you, Pascal, for doing that. Yeah. 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 So and through that process, after Tinder, I worked as a founding designer of Casa, which basically created this subscription product around Bitcoin personal security. So we kind of created that category there. And all throughout, I was noticing the pains around building a subscription business. Customers would leave and you wouldn't know why. Owning the customer if you're going through app stores was extremely problematic. Then there was just the overall If you don't know why they're leaving, how can we fix churn? And so actually a fellow founding team member at Casa left and started a successful subscription company on his own, had a churn problem. And we both sort of worked on this internal tool together that he deployed at his company called Wave. And that brought churn down from double to single digits. And that product was a very crude prototype of a cancel flow. And I'm kind of just jumping in here. Yeah, yeah, please do. This was the nexus uh, or the genesis of Churnkey, where we had seen these behavioral patterns, these products released by the big boys, you know, Amazon, Hulu, and in some cases, these experiences. So I don't know, a lot of people have tried to cancel their Audible subscription. I say try because... They get enticed by these deals, right? Oh, like I'm going to lose these credits and there's a free ebook on the other side of the rainbow. But you kind of leave that process feeling a little gross, maybe. The button moves around, the colors change. You know, you feel a little bit manipulated. Yeah. And we said there's a gem of a good idea here, but we don't want to be below board. You know, we want to create a new equilibrium for customers and their providers. And so we were thinking, you know, with my experience in consumer tech, could I take those principles and make this an enjoyable experience with a cancellation process that everyone enjoyed? No call centers, no chasing the cancel button around the screen. So that's how Churnkey got started. And so we've expanded into from voluntary into involuntary churn. We're innovating on that side. It's been kind of static for a while and we got some really fun things in the works. So that's my extended self-intro. Yeah. Well, nothing better than starting your product with an actual need, right? A use case and a real world scenario that you can try it out in and see how it works. How did you then adapt that maybe a business specific churn model to a product that you could bring to market? Yeah, we realized if this could greatly affect the retention efforts of a B2C company, you know, why couldn't that happen for other B2C companies? And so yeah. that's the thesis we began with and, and it was successful there. And then we moved into B2B companies. And so it's just figuring out how do you serve 
your customers' customers in a way that they'd be proud of, you know, and it ends up with outcomes that everybody wants. So I want to reduce my churn rate. That means happier customers. Happier customers means maybe they feel like they got a deal from you or, you know, they've changed the dynamic of the relationship that works for them. And that's really what, what we're here to do. Yeah. Let's talk about these flows for the voluntary churn yeah. a little bit. Maybe just to make sure that we level set, define what that means, how you segregate involuntary and voluntary churn. And then on the voluntary side, you know, what are the factors that go into how you configure something for one of your clients? Like, is it their product, their size, their ticket? What all goes into how you customize that for them? Yeah, sure. So typically churn is in two buckets, involuntary, voluntary. Involuntary is anywhere from 20 to 40% of churn. So that's insufficient funds on your customers' cards. That's rejections to various error codes, you know, whatnot, expired cards. And, you know, these can be remedied through intelligent retries. You're retrying at specific times of the month, maybe paychecks are just deposited. You know, these little tricks like that, that a customer doesn't want to leave because of a bank rule or a credit card rule, their subscription is at risk. And that's always a fun conversation to have. I say in a sarcastic way, it's like, hey, I know you want to pay us, but we need you to fix your payment stuff. It's not your fault. It puts it on the onus on them to fix it, which is really frustrating. So our job is on that side to make it as painless as possible for every party to pay, <laughs> you know, and to be paid. Yes. 80 down to 60% of the rest of churn is when people hit the cancel button. And this is was our first foray into the market because it's the biggest problem. And in some cases, you know, our customers' product needs to be improved. And, you know, we're just sort of extending the runway for them to understand what's wrong with their product, right? But in that process, so a cancel flow is you hit cancel. It's a very user-friendly, customer-centric process of understanding why they're leaving, trying to address that reason with a targeted offer. So that's either a discount, a pause, a redirect to support, or, you know, some fast track to a service rep. And that all depends on the relationship a, cust- a company has with their customer or change, getting them on a different plan that may be more relevant, you know, all sorts of things that reset the equilibrium. And I keep talking about that, using that word because, you know, it is a balance of different factors. And I don't believe that a cancel button should be a blunt instrument that just has one purpose and then they're gone. I also don't believe that it should be a painful process for anyone to leave. If if someone needs to cancel, they cancel. And that's the nature of things. But if you can get at least one data point for someone who's determined to leave and understand how to improve your product, you're going to be way better off down the run. We're doing really fun stuff here too. So a lot of qualitative feedback goes unprocessed, unanalyzed because at scale, I mean, we have a customer is doing 10,000, 15,000 cancellation sessions per month. Good luck going through every one of those and, and trying to look at patterns. So yeah. this isn't a joke. It's actually real. We have AI processing using machine learning to separate out sentiment. And is this a potential testimonial worthy response? Is this person going to do a chargeback? you know, are these feature requests. So there's a lot you can learn from this flow. And it's a lot of data to move around and learn from. I'm going to try to ask a question here without answering it. But (laughs) now more than ever, the cost to acquire a customer, right, is just continuing to go up and up and up for subscription businesses. Google AdWords are through the roof. And even some what used to be alternative channels, influencer marketing and things like that continue to become more expensive. And so is your view that keeping the customer 
putting time and effort into retaining that customer that you've already got worth the effort as opposed to going out and trying to find a new one. And again, I realize I probably just answered part of the question right there, but I'll let you answer it as well. Okay. So yeah, I will say all the conversations we're having right now are, hey, retention is as of two months ago, the complete top priority across the entire organization. Can we do this week? And we're like, well, let's talk, obviously. And this is what we do. And I think, you know, for the very reasons you stated, on top of we have spending hangover from the holidays, we have mixed recession. Uh, is it a recession? Who knows? Is it this recession because the government said it was or is it not? You know, who knows? Housing market factors, all the things that are muddling up the future. It's way easier to hang on to what you got than to go out and fish. And for a lot of reasons. And, you know, I'm sure that you've been over on this podcast, the metrics of acquisition and, you know, the costs associated with that versus the product-led expansion revenue opportunities to, that you have with existing customers. I think organizations are learning how to, on the fly, work more with what they have. And growth at all costs is no longer a reality and no longer feasible to really understand their customer base beyond what you can shake out of them from their wallets. Is it, can you identify cohorts of your customer base that you didn't see before who exhibit, you know, common key value metrics that demonstrate success? By that, I mean, what are the markers of successful customers? How do you encourage those behaviors in other parts of your customer base? And we're seeing more of those initiatives too. That in the end informs your marketing, your outbound to be more focused, to be less flashy. It starts creating this virtuous you know, feedback loop. Right. Where's that line for you? And it probably varies, but where's that line between retaining a customer who just might've had a bad experience or needs to be reminded of the value of a product versus a problem with the product itself. That's probably the case the majority of the time. And you already said it, that in some cases, you're really just kicking the can down the road, so to speak, in terms of getting more time to fix a product problem. But how do you kind of walk that tightrope between those two things? That's a great question. And I think it starts with a team who's willing to look at critical feedback and act on it. And those are our ideal customers who, you know, some people come to us and say, I know we have a churn problem. We need to stop the bleeding, give us more time and give us the tools to help us figure out how to address it. So that's receiving feedback, that's using it to improve the product and making changes very, very quickly, right? And then there are teams who come in who say, I want this in place as kind of a future backstop. So things are going great right now, but I know churn is always going to be a reality. How much of a reality is up to what we do right now to put measures in place as a culture in our company to take this feedback and take it seriously. You know, we do work with teams who just say, oh, I just plug it in and I want to see X percent reduction in churn. And then like, you know, they don't act on it. And that's frustrating. We have the goal mine of data for them to, to right. work on. I do think in the future, the subscription business will evolve because tools are going to evolve to be more proactive on their behalf. So those things I discussed about identifying key value metrics and identifying positive behavioral patterns versus negative ones, you know, which we're trying to counteract. Well, what if you could amplify the positive behaviors of your best customers and, you know, take those learnings and try and encourage other customers to kind of, you know, to move into the awesome customer bucket, right? And I think that'll be done with AI and machine learning and it'll be very effective but I don't think we're there yet. When you are uncovering those, I mean, these are truly like just 
gold insights, you know, into why their customers are leaving. Are you seeing in general them act on this information quickly? I mean, obviously, you know, this is like, these are problems that if you plug these holes through improving the product, improving the customer experience, be lowering the price or putting them in a different plan, all of those things can be very effective. But, you know, in our consulting experience, sometimes we work with a subscription merchant and the data tells the problem, but unfortunately getting them, you know, you can only bring that horse to the water, right? You can't make it drink. So how responsive are you finding merchants being to acting on this information? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's the classic drip, drip, drip. Okay, thanks. You know, thanks for pointing it out. And then suddenly at the 11th hour, the emergency alarm is pulled and you're being emailed by six different people from the same company, right? Like, how do we do something, right? So, I mean, that certainly happens. But, you know, we love working with seasoned growth and product teams, second time founders. There's a new emerging cohort that among our customer base of teams trying to move away from app stores and build their own subscription infrastructure. So, I mean, it's, I think I'm moving away from your question, but you know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. it was a bit of a subjective question uh, and asked just because you can provide all of the data that you have available. Right. But in the end, it's going to be in a subscription merchant's hands to make those changes or improve the products or experiences in a way that's going to really move the needle. Right. Well, and everyone has their internal language and shorthand and do they speak in ROI? Do they speak in one of our favorite metrics is boosted revenue, where we're analyzing all your invoices down to every single invoice and we're calculating all those ways that we've saved a customer down to that level. And so we can say, like, look, you know, here's what your revenue would have been. Here's what it is now because of what you've done with Churnkey. Some teams really respond to that. Some teams love qualitative stuff and we're, you know, piping in you know, raw feedback, their data teams that they're using to enrich all their other systems. You know, sometimes we're doing it all. So I think it's just figuring out the language that the team speaks and culturally what they value. You know, sometimes ROI is not the biggest concern. And it's funny because for me, I think it would be right, especially right now. But a lot of times it's just the willingness to learn and be open to criticism and, you know, not putting your head in the sand and right. taking that learning and genuinely wanting to build the best product with yeah. this critical feedback. And yeah. to me, that's to rarity too, you know, not just being solely focused on building the economic engine, but the feedback engine, you know, that's the markings of a great product team. Yeah. I think I'm zeroing in on that question because I've been around subscriptions long enough to go back to the days of set it and forget it right. of, you know, it was all about top of the funnel, right? Just bring them in, bring them in, bring them in. Yes. Some are going to probably a lot are going to fall out the bottom. As long as we're putting them in faster in the top than they're coming out the bottom, all's good. And just like I said, due to acquisition costs and just a changing consumer behavior, that is we've gone 180 with that approach to growing a subscription business, no matter the vertical, right? Whether that's physical, digital insurance, whatever, right now yeah. it's about engaging with and retaining those customers. But you still have organizations that culturally are resistant to that, that just don't know how to react or change and instead still just focus on the marketing and the acquisition and kind of ignore everything that happened in the back office. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I remember when churn as a concept kind of was introduced into the lexicon and you know, we all knew that people canceled, but it was like this, I don't know, kind of edgy, dark science calling it churn and, you know, doing the tables and all that stuff. And then I think too, that, you know, in parallel product teams, growth teams, they've had the cultural zeitgeist for so long because it's in the DNA of technology companies, at least where I came from, where they set the agenda, 
it's fun. It's dynamic. You know, you got the hotshot product managers and growth managers. It attracts attention. It's always changing and always dynamic. And retention and churn and focusing on, you know, the health of the business can be a slog. It can be a hard problem to solve. And you're not like, if you get churned down by a, a point month over month, it's not setting off these crazy celebrations in your company, at least where I came from. And so I can see why that behavior is drafted off of in other organizations. And it's hard to like, folk, you know, eat your vegetables, focus on the basics, because it really does have a stacking effect. And we see this, we'll have some customers who are really impatient to see results. We do show them results, but sometimes it's not quick enough for them. And we say, look, and we kind of have this three month period where, you know, you're stacking subscriptions, you're stacking offers, you're stacking this stuff that will pay off down the road, but it does, you know, it kind of, you need to spin the engine up, right? Yeah, definitely. I want to go back for a second to something you brought up before about the app stores, yeah. um, because from what we've seen, you either got a subscription business that started there. That was their model for subscription from the beginning was distribution through the app stores and are now wanting to explore going more direct to the end consumer. And then of course, those that are going the other way that, that were direct to consumer and now like the distribution options that some of these app stores uh, bring to the table. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the pros and cons of each of them and maybe what to think about when you're going one way versus the other? Yeah, I've been on both sides of this. And the biggest challenge is that the regulations always seem to be changing and they're written in such vague ways that you risk, you know, the obvious is being rejected from submissions or being delisted at in the worst case, right? When you say regulations, you're talking about the rules that Apple or Google or whomever will exactly decide right. to implement and when they'll decide to implement or enforce them. <laughs> right. And to the degree where we have had to lean on investors with ties into Apple and or basically woo your app store representative with, you know, figuring out, do they like a certain brand of coffee or scotch or something? I mean, it got down to that level. And when you're an app, say at Tinder size, where you're doing billions of dollars in revenue at this point through the app store, and they're taking 30%, I think it's 15 now, because, you know, they've loosened up a bit, but there are market moving ramifications if you get something wrong. And so... I think the risk is, you know, justifying that you can use a your own Stripe checkout, for example, in your app. I mean, I just the other day I saw Alto, which is a kind of like a higher end Uber competitor. They're using their own checkout, which fascinated me because I guess Uber has been too, but they can justify the subscription because it's like an offline experience. Okay. Um, so if you can say, well, we have a service component that, you know, goes above and beyond just a digital good okay. in any way, right? Then uh, the floodgates are open. And the difference is though that Apple Pay or Apple Checkout through the App Store, they're so convenient. Google Pay, all that's so convenient. And people trust the App Store gods to you know safeguard their payments and their cards. And mm-hmm. the problem is you're giving up your customer though, and you're giving up the cut. And so I would say though, it gives you not only like obviously a revenue advantage, but when you're owning the customer and you take on you know, the Dunning stuff and you take on the payment stuff and you take on the burden of card security, subscription security, it pays you crazy dividends down the road because you can do so much more analysis on that. You have so much more flexibility to understand the nuances of your customer base, to go in and do fun subscription deals if you need to, to keep a customer. It's not like, I'm not speaking rocket science here, but I think if there's any way that you can get around the app stores, now is the time to do it. And I know I'll mention, this is kind of paddles, 
they're a bit of a competitor to ours now. But I'll I'll give them props. You know, they're setting up basically a shadow app store apparatus for when Apple says, okay, you can plug in your own checkout. You know, they're going to be ready to go. And I think it's a good strategic move. I think Stripe should do the same thing, but you know, there's politics involved too. So these are big dollars we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Once the bigger players start to to look around, Apple is going to need to start incentivizing them to stay with better controls and services or just say the market will decide, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk about your own subscription journey as you've built up this business. And of course, you have some experience with other subscription, you know, startups at Casa and Tinder. Talk us through a little bit about the lessons you brought forward when you started Churnkey. It is a, you know, recurring payment relationship type with your customers. First, why did you choose that model? Why was that a right model for your business? And what are, again, some of those lessons that you pulled forward as you implemented it for Churnkey? Yeah. The first learning that has ramifications for everyone is focusing on the right customer. And that sounds so boring and obvious, but it's a hard thing to do out of the gate because you're so eager to see this project succeed right away. Yeah. But by doing so, we've achieved negative churn, which of all the businesses I've been a part of, I've never seen that before. I mentioned them a bit earlier, but I'll go through them again. And I love these calls. So like a second time founder, for example, don't even need to demo it. They just get on the phone and they go, okay, can I just install this right now? And you go, (laughs) yes, yes, you can. (laughs) That is a beautiful sales call right there. It's a beautiful thing. So, you know, fast growing companies who where the founding team is still in place, is still involved. They're great customers for us. Seasoned product and growth teams who, you know, this is their second or third experience building something. They're a great customer. And then, like I said, like moving away from app stores, dealing with all the stuff they didn't have to. Wow. Those all sound like people who've been doing subscription long enough to know what they're getting themselves into. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting too. Like once you leave the protective umbrella of the Play Store, the app store, then you realize, man, I got to do a lot of work to enable subscription management and all this kind of stuff. And I got to worry about these different things and fraud and So that was one thing that I brought into this, that we made sure out of the gate that we found the right people first to target. And then for us, you know, pricing has been a bit of a struggle because in the industry, it's pretty common to have a take rate of reclaimed revenue or boosted revenue, whatever you want to Mm -hmm. call it. For some reason, though, like that just didn't sit right with us. And having been through working with these providers before, it created these odd incentives where you had to trust that they were calculating things a certain way. Maybe there may be some magic math going on. You never really knew for sure. You always had to get on a phone call to figure out how to interpret your invoice. We just didn't want to deal with that at all. So we're fixed pricing. We're month to month. There's no contracts. So getting pricing right out of the gate was, and still is a, a project, you know, it's a fun experience. It's fun to be able to do this with, and you know, that's the other thing too, is these subscription companies I was with before were like crazy scale, right? There are hundreds of thousands of subscriptions per month and they're just data points, right? In this business, every account is a person and we're helping them yeah. on an individual basis or you know, a per team basis. And everyone has different goals and different ways of going about things. And it's fun to adapt to those needs. So trying to think what else could be enlightening. Yeah, that's what I got right now. Yeah, okay. So- You've been doing subscription long enough to see that the ecosystem of subscriptions and all of the different tools and platforms that support it have certainly evolved and new players are popping up in the space every day. I mean, I've absolutely seen it. You have too. So talk about what sort of things you think are important to 
your business versus those types of things that are, hey, there's great tools out there that do these sorts of things. You're going to be, you know, turnkey is going to be one of them when it comes to churn management for sure. But what other parts of the tech stack for creating a subscription business do you think hey, focus on these and there's great tools for those. You mean like other essential tools for subscription? Yeah, uh, that m- maybe it's communications management or the subscription lifecycle management, recurring billing and payments, you know, uh, content delivery, all of those kind of things that you might be needing to go source if you're going to start a new subscription business. Yeah, okay, that's a great question. I make sure that like, your first step is choose your processor wisely. And I think that's becoming more of a challenge as Stripe, Chargebee, Paddle, Ad, yeah, and Braintree, you know, they all kind of start bleeding into each other's spaces. We love working. Stripe was our first integration and we love working with them. They've been great to us. We're actually the first apps in their marketplace. But Stripe is doing a lot more than they used to these days. I remember when they launched, it was just add a line of code and you're good to go. So it depends on, first of all, what's your operating nexus? Do you want to support customers throughout the world? Or are you North America focused or European focused? And understand your target customer, and that's going to inform the processor. So target customer and locale. I say target customer and locale because regulations in India, for example, are making it difficult for month-to-month subscription providers to keep going without running into payment issues. So the law in India is, to my recollection, you have to authorize every month that a subscription can be charged. And if you're not prepared to support that, you have a legwork ahead of you. So there are providers who can make that easy and work on your behalf to make enabling that more simple. So that's just an example. It's a whole um, category of churn in and of itself right there. If the customer has to initiate every payment. Yeah, absolutely see the benefit of that and the spirit of it. But practically speaking, that is just painful. You know, it just yeah. hurts my head thinking about that. Yeah, For consumers too, that's a terrible experience for them. Totally. And I'm sure it stops, you know, a lot of predators and whatnot. Man, there, there are always going to be industries to get around that on the criming side. Yeah, so like baseline beyond that, you need a dunning provider, whether whoever it is, that's just table stakes at this point. You know, what else would I do? I don't have any deep insights beyond that, I don't think. What about data and analytics? So where you're posting your data, there's a lot of solutions out there. You know, you can go crazy like Snowflake or, you know, you can go all the way down to Excel spreadsheets. Like how do you see managing your data and maybe that evolution as you grow? Yeah, just like internally, like what do we use? Yeah, internally. Yeah. I mean, there's the basics with SEO and and with Google Analytics and Ahrefs and ClearScope. The other bit I love using is Heap. You know, so just seeing how intra-product flows happen, where do people drop off? Those are the basics. But then we're also doing some, a lot of internal event tracking for our own product to figure out. So we mostly deal with our customers' customers. How are they moving through the flows we built for updating a card or opening emails or the cancel flows themselves? And then we actually built our own internal, basically version of full story. So if anything goes wrong with a session, so if one of our customers says, hey, customer XYZ went through this flow, they ran into an error. You know, we can actually go and watch that session, which is pretty awesome. And then we can look up, is it there a subscription ownership clash with Stripe? Yeah. Or, so that's mm-hmm. great. That's what we use. And then we tie everything into, we just moved to a great CRM named Wobaka. It's very straightforward, not a lot of overhead, which we love. We just like down to basics, tools like that. And then we shifted back to Intercom because, you know, synchronous communication is really important to us. We're very responsive. So yeah, that's our basic stack. Well, as we get towards the end here, are there any upcoming 
big changes, features, announcements, or what does the next year to two years look like for you guys? Yeah, we just launched some great data intensive products, customer timelines. So you we're blending subscription data, event tracking, you know, kind of like experiential payment bits all into one timeline. So seeing that customer journey from that perspective is pretty unique, I think. And then we're going to be doing some really, really insane things with that down the road, which I'd love to get into right now, but I don't want to tip our hand too much. We just launched A-B testing for cancel flows. So big question we get is, is this the right copy? Is this the right offer? Is this the right customer segment? Well, ask no more. We can run the test and you know the data will will speak for itself. We've been shipping things like every two weeks. It just it feels like a different universe. One thing I'm excited about too is I don't see anyone else doing this where there's a segment of people who I call them quiet cancelers, where their card fails, you reach out to them, they open the email or message or text, they click, they go to the update card form and they bounce. And these are people who will intentionally let their subscription lapse because they just don't feel like updating their card. And that can be anywhere from two to ten percent of you know payment failures. So what we they are clicking we, on the email and going to clicking the... it, they're going in, they're at the form, and for whatever reason, they're just like, eh, I don't want to do this. And that's even with checkout forms with Apple Pay or Google Pay. So it's so easy, you know, to update this card. So we launched this thing called Dunning Offers where it's like, okay, look, you got one more chance. I get it. You've seen this stuff. I would discount your current invoice and or future payments. And we're seeing a huge boost in response rates on that. They just need like a little more incentive. You know, they're so close. Like, they're right yeah. at the edge. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you're asking me to do work just so I can pay you. I mean, what's up with that? And so it's kind of like a recognition of I get it. This is annoying. It's not your fault. Here's a little booster, right? Here's a little something. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Well, Scott, really appreciate all of the insights we talked about today. Like I said, churn is a very hot topic right now in the world of subscriptions. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of listeners tune into this episode. But if any of them want to learn more about Churnkey or maybe have questions for you about what we talked about today, where can they go? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Scott Herf, S-C-O-T-T-H-U-R-F-F. I'm also Scott at churnkey.co if you want to send me a note. And then we're just churnkey.co and love to chat. Yeah, absolutely. That's easy to find. Well, Scott, once again, really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation and best of luck to you guys. Thanks, Nick. Good being here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. 